hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. On today's Queer Money, we're going to share the story of a gay couple who spent the last 10 years building a life for the child they'll someday adopt. Jonathan and Christopher Ortega Acosta have prepared a beautiful home for their someday child. Their backyard is waiting to be someone's playground, sandbox, and world of pretend. In the background, you can even hear the puppy dog who's just waiting for his best friend to come home to play. Jonathan and Christopher share their emotional journey of their adoption process, what they've learned along the way, and useful tips to help other queer people grow their queer families. Their story will inspire and move you. Rather than asking you to like, comment on, and subscribe to Queer Money this week, we ask that you share Jonathan and Christopher's story with anyone looking to adopt or anyone who's looking for a loving home for their baby. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. Okay, let's see if this card goes through for that $8,000 drink. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants to be a part of the in-crowd. Everybody wants to to look good. My my decision was, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to stay and work someplace where this is a problem. Normally, we don't drink on queer money, but because we're talking about a subject that David is rather vanilla on... Grab a glass of wine, because you're listening to Queer Money with the Debt-Free Guys. This is the only show helping our community do more and be more by talking about money from the queer perspective. Okay, are we all ready? We're ready. Am I in charge today? Yes, you are always in charge. (laughs) Thanks. I just like to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so we are excited to have two of our really good friends from Denver, Colorado on our show today, Jonathan and Christopher Arteza Acosta. We haven't had, um, I don't think we've had friend friends on the show since we had Michael on the first episode. I think you're right. True? Wow. Um, we know that a lot of people in our community, um, that now that they're able to get married, one of the things that they're thinking about more is um, growing their family. And so we thought we'd talk with Jonathan and Christopher about what their process has been like and if they have any advice or suggestions for anybody else um, who listens to our podcast, if they're looking to adopt, um, what they should consider. So welcome, Jonathan and Christopher. Hi. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, we had an episode previously, so this is not the first time we've covered this this subject of uh, adoption or surrogacy or creating the fact that that uh, queers, as in general, we have to create our own families, uh, and it's something that our community is maturing to because I think that we're starting to see a lot more uh, couples because of legal reasons. They feel more like couples that it's now they feel more comfortable being able to say, "Let's move forward with uh, creating a family." And I think it's interesting that we have. We have friends who are doing this and wanting to share that story with you as a broader audience in case you're thinking about doing this. There are a, a lot of opportunities and there are a lot of things to take into consideration. We hope to cover that with uh, Jonathan and Chris because uh, as we found from several of our friends, it's not always an easy process. It isn't, uh, like we've said before, Having kids is not an oopsie on a Friday night like <laughs> yeah. it can be for. I drank a little bit too much. Right, I'm pregnant. From, right, or or a simple plan of action, as you may, might say, for some of our straight friends when they have decided to have children, it's been very straightforward. So we're excited to again talk about this 
topic from a different angle. Yeah, that was a show we had with Adrian, and that angle was um, international surrogacy that incorporated three different countries. <laughs> so that was, mm-hmm. that was co- quite complicated. Um, we're hoping that this is maybe a little bit easier, but we'll <laughs> guess Jonathan and Christopher can tell us. So um, welcome, boys. Thank you for joining us. Would you mind uh, giving us a little bit background about yourselves and who you are and let our audience know what you're all about? Sure. So uh, Christopher and I, we both work in healthcare. Um, I'm actually a trainer for our electronic medical record system for a large healthcare system here in Colorado. Uh, and Christopher, he works for a large medical insurance company. Um, we actually met in Florida, uh, where we used to live about 10 years ago. And we met online, like many couples do these <laughs> days. So, <laughs> what, what was the software? What was the app? It was gay.com. It was gay.com. Oh, it was? <laughs> nice. <laughs> which, is still, which is still in existence, by the way. Um, is it? It's, I think they may have changed their format a little bit, but for the most part, uh, that's how we met. And we've been together ever since. And we moved here to Colorado uh, about five years ago, I would say. Yeah. Um, to seek better opportunities and, and to grow our lives. And then that's so we've been together about us. 10 years. Um, we got married in 2013. So, um, yeah, now we're we're wanting to start the second kind of phase in our lives and, and um, have a baby, have a family. Nice. Yeah, it, it was interesting what you brought up earlier in our conversation, David, where what can couples do um, to continue on. I mean, what's the next thing that we can do now that a lot of, a lot of events have been legalized for us where well, we can marry, you know, we can have children and so on and so on. So, uh, we just want to follow that, that conventional path, if you will, of starting a family, having kids, letting them grow up to be whoever they want to be and hopefully make a great impact on this world. It's interesting. If you don't mind, I, I would like to ask that question um, because there are so many in the queer community who have decided not to have children. Um, and I think that there are some in our community who are, I don't know if it's hesitant or maybe even adamant about not having children. What is it that made the two of you want to have children? What What is the drive behind that? Um, I, I think for us, we've it, it was just something that we've always wanted to do. I mean, since we've met each other, we we wanted to go down that path. Um, we come from uh, conventional families, so I guess it's just kind of uh, you know the way we were raised, and we wanted to pass down those morals and values um, down to uh, our child as well. And you're you're not both from Orlando, right? No, no. I'm, uh, my family's from Mississippi. Right, okay. And I was born and raised in South Florida, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Okay, gotcha. So interesting. Yeah, so I think there, I think what's interesting is, is now that we're having, now that, like Jonathan said, that we do have same-sex marriage has been legalized and, and, and gay couples can adopt and have children otherwise, I think the idea of growing a family is still new to our community. Um, I, th- I don't think that uh, a lot of, especially older LGBT people, really thought of that as an, as an option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for us, it was just always something that we knew was going to happen eventually, uh, that we wanted to work towards that. Right. I've talked about this before on the podcast and in our writings that, um, the 
maturation of the queer community, how we have matured over the years. And I think that the things that we focused on in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s were more about um, personal safety. Uh, And then in the 80s and 90s, um, again, it was a, a lot around fear of just being able to stay alive. And really in the late 90s, early 2000s, because of medical advancements and just how we are as has progressed as a community, we've started to be, I, I guess, self-actualized is maybe the proper uh, clinical term, is that we are starting to think about how we can really have bigger and better lives. And it's nice to see that some individuals, that having a bigger and better life is wanting to have a family and share that I guess the relationship that you had growing up, you want to have that with, with uh, your own children. So it's nice that we have actualized or that we've matured enough to that point where we can do that. It's interesting you bring that up, David. I don't know if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs right. where, where you know you have to satisfy your basic needs first, you know, food, shelter, safety. And then as you work your way up to that pyramid, which is that self-actualization, I think that's where Chris and I really speak to each other where you know, what can we help do for others? Mm-hmm. And a part of that is adopting or having a child of our own, because then we can instill our, our personal values that we've learned throughout the years into that child and develop that child as well. So it's interesting how you bring that up, because there has been a maturation in the queer community over the past few decades. And I think we're at this point now where, what, where's the legacy after this? You know, it, it's great. It's great to have your cake, but then how, how can we have that cake saved for later on? You know, yeah, that's a great analogy. I think it's to me. I think it's wonderful that you guys agreed to come onto the podcast because I think there's still some in our community who haven't thought about this as necessarily an option or a way that to um, self actualize. And I think um, you're a great representation of that. Thank and, you. And it's nice that we're going to have more examples like you and Christopher and what you're doing, so that others who may have been thinking about it, they can see the like we said earlier, the opportunities and the, uh, the, I don't know, I necessarily want to say struggles, but the issues that need to be dealt with before you do that. Absolutely. So, um, quick, I guess what I'd like to know, a lot of people gay or straight who decide to adopt, um, find it to be a very circuitous and challenging <laughs> process. What is your, can you describe to our audience what your processes, your experience has been like? Yeah, um, it, for us, it's been it's been long. Um, we've been in the process about uh, two years now, and and it it feels long, but there are uh, you know we realize other people that is going through this process that have been going through it for five years or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, but the you know we had to go through a home study and we had to take classes. Um, um, through our adoption agency. And um, so it, from that point, once you're approved, then it just, you just have to wait basically until um, the birth mother picks you. So then it, it, we've had that happen several times as well. And, and sometimes it, you know, doesn't really go as smoothly as you would want it to go. So, so I'm going to jump in here. Tell us a little bit about what that's like. I don't think that many people want to invite someone into their home to be examined and 
have their personal life picked apart. <laughs> but obviously, this is something that's very important to you. So tell, tell us what that's like and maybe allay some of the fears that some people may have in doing that. Yeah, well, um, social workers, they, uh, you know, they, they want you to adopt as much as you want to adopt. So we've had a really great experience um, with um, our social worker and being able to, um, you, you know, I, I think that people have a lot of fear. Well, why I know we did is, you know, they're going to be, they're going to judge you and they're going to, um, you know, just like you said, pick everything apart. But um, you do have to be very candid. However, um, it, it, you get close to that person and they're kind of with you through the whole process. So um, it's been really great for us. Yeah, our social worker and the agency, well, the Adoption Choices of Colorado is who uh, we went through for our home study and the social workers and the, and the staff there have been great. Um, we've also gone there for the classes, you know, how to, how to hold a baby, how to, how to swaddle a baby, uh, changing diapers, how to tell signs of if the baby is getting sick sort of thing. Uh, but going back to the home study, I think that was an interesting experience because the, the case study worker actually had to come into our home and she phrased it as this is the, the sex, drugs and rock and roll portion of your interview. Because <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I know. She literally asked and picked apart our lives to make sure that we were good candidates uh, for the adoption process. So she asked us very personal questions and not even our best friends know about us. Um, she took a tour of our house. She took a tour of our nursery just to make sure that everything was good to bring a baby into this home. Unfortunately, we did pass uh, with flying colors, so to speak. Hmm. How um, can you quantify in some way how invasive the questions were? I, I think a lot in our community, a lot of people in our community, feel a little bit guarded and and, and sensitive about people, you know, trying to invade their space for, um, I guess, lack of a better term. How how invasive or uncomfortable were those questions? Uh, well, they ask you anything you could think of. Um, you know, and, and you have to do a background check. You have to do fingerprints, uh, all of that stuff as well. So you have to be as really honest, uh, as you can be, but I mean, anything that you can possibly think of, but they're going to ask and, and you have to write it all down. There's a questionnaire and all that too. So. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So, so let me understand. So you decide you want to ha have children. The, the next step is to choose an adoption agency. Um, well, we chose our agency, but well, yeah, so we decided we wanted to have children and then we chose um, our agency. We chose the, um, well, we chose lifelong adoptions because they um, were geared towards more um, gay couples and things like that. But okay. they're actually more of a mediator. So they're not um, a licensed agency. And then they partner with a licensed agency to do, um, you know, like the classes and the home study and things like that. So they partnered with, um, with adoption choices of Colorado. Uh -huh. And, okay. um, that's and who, that's who all of our, uh, home study and, and classes and all of that went through. And then, and then when we get connected with a birth mother, then lifelong adoptions is the one who mediates the whole, um, Process. process. Gotcha. Okay. And where? Who does the social worker work for? Is she with 
she's with Adoption Choices of Colorado. Okay. So the social worker has to be with the licensed um, adoption agency. Okay. And is she, I'm assuming she's, it's a she, sorry. Oh, I shouldn't. Um, are they your primary point of contact throughout this process then? No, actually, um, our mediator, the person that speaks with the birth mother, that's through lifelong adoptions is our primary contact that we speak with. And then um, we will run any um, situations as they call it. So birth mother situations by our social worker. So we'll, yeah, in, 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 in the simplest of terms, lifelong, adoption, lifelong adoptions acts as a matchmaker for potential couples in the LGBT community as well as the straight community as well with potential birth mothers that want to um, give their child to couples within the lifelong adoptions family. And then from there, they do work with licensed agencies. So in our case, it would be uh, Adoption Choices of Colorado uh, to make sure that all the legalities are met and the and that process of birth mother with couple um, is smooth right and why we chose to go that route is because adoption choices of colorado works with birth mothers within colorado and um lifelong hey. adoptions is are in within the u.s gotcha gotcha and are there other uh companies or organizations like lifelong adoptions who work, who specialize in the LGBT space or are they the, the biggest one or how did you choose them? Um, I, I think we, we did our research online and, I, mm-hmm. and those were the, that was the biggest one that had uh, best reviews and, uh, and all of that. So I, I, I don't really see, I don't really remember seeing one that um, was geared more towards the gay community as lifelong adoptions was. And the staff at Lifelong Adoptions has been great as well. They, they do act as your personal contact during this entire adoption process. So uh, we could easily just pick up the phone or send a quick email to the staff there and our representatives um, will answer any of our questions or they'll assure us that, you know, just continue to be hopeful and keep positive thoughts and the baby will be on the way. So it's been good in that sense as well. Nice. So one of the things I want to say is, a lot of individuals who do not um, appreciate or uh, are not um, do not condone uh, the queer lifestyle um, or choices that we make in our lives, a lot of them say that, that, that they're hesitant to say or flat out say that we're not right to be parents or that we don't have um, the ability to be parents. But one of the things that's coming through very clear to me is that I don't know any other couple, that straight couple, that appears to be as prepared as you are to have a child. Um, but most of them don't go through classes uh, about how to take care of a child before. Um, most of them don't have this continuous thought thought (laughs) process for years before you have a child. And so it seems to me like there is a structure in place that almost puts us at at an advantage if we are wanting to go out and and have children, whether it's through adoption or through surrogacy. um, There's a a process in place that almost puts us at an advantage for being parents because we have to really think this through. You have to really want to be parents and you have to really have done not only your work, but your life work 
you, you have you have to have lived properly in order to be good parents. And it just it's it's amazing right. to me that someone well, would say you're not you're not fit to be a parent, but they don't understand at all the process that you go through. Yeah, well, and that, and that's a good point. Luckily we have had a lot of support from our families and our friends. And so we haven't had to really um, deal with that, which is great. Um, Cause I know that some people do, but it is a good point that, you know, we really had to prepare. And when we d- decided, I mean, like I said, we, we wanted children since we've met. So we've kind of put all of these things into place mm-hmm. um, to, to get to that, to get to the point that we are now. So we've, um, you know, we've downsized, we lived in a, in a small apartment so that we could save for a long time um, to get this house. So we could be in the Cherry Creek School District, which is the best school district, um, you know, that, that we've gone through our careers so that we could both work from home, which is what we do, um, to be able to um, be here for, the, for a baby. And so we've kind of had this end goal in mind and um, work to achieve that before we went through this whole adoption process. So, and, and to add on to what Chris was saying, when it comes down to it, the concepts are still the same, right? Whether you're a, a woman-man couple or a, a man-man or a woman-woman couple, the, the concepts are still the same. If you want to have a child, then you'll start to prepare for it in, in whatever fashion you need to go down or whatever path you need to go down. And um, yes, I, I do agree with you, David, that it is somewhat advantageous for a queer couple who wants to have children because there's that extra step, right, where you have to really think about, okay, when we have this child, it's going to change everything. Whereas um, with a straight couple, it, it could easily just be a, a simple one night stand sort of thing or um, it, it, something could happen in happenstance. But for a, a queer couple, it, it really helps us define what we want to do long term. Mm-hmm. And if that's to have a family, that's great. If it's not to have a family and just to continue to live the lives that we want to, then that's fine too. Uh, but for us, we really, as to what Chris was saying, we really thought about this since we've met and we've had the great support system of our family and friends to do this. So I think it's, if we'd ever have a show about goal setting, we need to have them on. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Wait, it's a whole other topic. And it, that's uh, one of the things that Adrian brought up in the previous show that we had, when we talked about surrogacy is that he and his husband, they had, I think, six spreadsheets that they were using to yep. track these various scenarios of what could happen or what might happen or how they needed to prepare financially and what they needed to do uh, in their home and all those different things. So it was a methodical process. And it sounds like you've done something very similar to that. I feel like Jonathan has a spreadsheet. We do. We, do. <laughs> we track it. We have graphs. <laughs> we, we track our, uh, how often our profile gets shown, how often people view our video. Um, and so that, that for us, I mean, not only um, is it great to be able to see the progression, but it sometimes that gives us hope too. Like, okay, um, we've had 232, um, you know, people view our website this mm-hmm. month, and that was a, a huge jump from last month. So um, nice. it's a great way to for to kind of keep us going. Um, <laughs> So that leads me to another question. I, I, um, I wasn't necessarily familiar with all that. Can you tell us what, what, is, um, what is the structure that's in place today to get your message out to, to, to potential birth mothers, the video, the website? What does all that look like? 
So um, I, uh, Lifelong Adoptions has a, a website and we are featured on the website. There's a profile on there where um, you can get to know about us, about our family, about our home, um, and, and just general uh, likes and hobbies and things like that. Um, and then they also send out a brochure, like a pamphlet to, uh, to, to birth mothers and, and, um, people that are interested. And then we've also, uh, done a video, an adoption video, um, that's on, featured on their website and it is, uh, online as well. Exactly. We also utilize our own social media tools to let people know that we are in the process of a newborn adoption and to please share our story. Mm -hmm. Um, because if they, if they're not in a position to have a baby, they probably know someone that is, and chances are, um, if that person is also not wanting to have that baby either, and also to give it up for adoption, mm -hmm. to share their story with those, with these people. So is, is it set up like a traditional social media channel where you can, people can like and share in your, your video and your, 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 your webpage? It's they. There's no indication where you can like or dislike a person's profile. That would be horrible, right? If you're well, yeah. I don't mean dislike. I mean like, uh, the, <laughs> yeah. The more likes you get, the more it gets seen by more people. I guess was what I was thinking. But yeah, but people can share your story. Yes, people can share a story, and if they're interested, they can actually contact the uh, uh, lifelong adoptions. And we do get uh, statistics every month from Lifelong Adoptions as to how many people viewed our website, how many of our paper profiles were sent out to birth mothers. Um, so th those are part of the, the data that we get as a couple working with Lifelong Adoptions. Gotcha, gotcha. So we'll, have, um, um, we'll, we'll ask you for that content and we'll put those in our show notes um, for Wednesday. Sure. Yeah. So uh, we touched on this a little bit briefly. Is there, do you notice anything from your experience or at least, at least from your vantage point um, that makes your process maybe a little bit seem or look a little bit different than what a straight couple would go through? Um, well, we can only speak for ourselves. Um, from our uh, adoption uh, agency, both do deal with straight couples as well. Um, so I, I don't, we don't see any difference as far as going through the process if a straight couple is going through an adoption process, but, um, you know, we can only speak for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, gotcha. Is there, um, what sort of, uh, if you were to, to if, you know, if Dave and I were considering adopting a child, um, what advice or, or insight would you give us? Um, what have been your challenges and what were you not, maybe not prepared for yourself? Um, I think that we weren't prepared for the length of time that it would take. Um, I don't think that we were emotionally prepared for um, these connections with certain birth mothers and then, you know, um, they lose the child, which we've had happen one time, or- They fall through. You know, they, they decide that they wanna keep the child, which we've had happen one time. So um, each one of those uh, different experiences, you know, it was very emotional. So I, I think that we weren't prepared for that part as well. You know, you go into it very excited, um, but you just have to keep positive and you have to keep going. Um, I, I think that we have a great support system, what I like to call the waiting game, because you don't, you don't know when that game will end. And 
that's very emotional. It's very tolling on yourself mentally and sometimes even physically because you're just sitting here waiting for that phone call that could happen at any minute saying, guess what? There's a birth mother that's willing to give their baby up for you. You need to come here now. Yeah. And it's but, been... Yeah, yeah. I, I would say just do your research. So we did a lot of research for grants. Mm -hmm. We did um, a lot of research for, um, you know, just what the whole experience looks like. Every everybody that's gone through adoption has their own story, and some people have waited, you know, six months, and some people have waited, like I said previously, you know, five, seven years. Um, it, it just it, it's an individual kind of personal experience and their similarities but everybody kind of goes through their own um path and journey yeah, yeah. is there a av has anybody been able to give you an average of how long it might take the average for our adoption company they told us was um about 12 months which we um have gone over hmm. so um and, and we do see that they send out stats so we do see that you know, some people are, are uh, you know, got uh, adopted a baby sooner and then some people are waited longer than us. Um, but it really just depends. There can be one little thing that the birth mother will see and it'll just make that connection. You know, there, um, somebody told us a story about um, they, uh, they every year would carve a pumpkin into uh, like a Snoopy face hmm. for Halloween mm -hmm. and um, the birth mother was flipping through these brochures and she saw that pumpkin um, uh, Halloween Snoopy jack-o'-lantern yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and apparently her family did that every single year as well so for her it resonated and she was like these are this is the one these are the people so um, it you know for some people it, it just takes a shorter time and for others it just takes longer i guess to have that connection mm -hmm. I, i'm i'm sorry i'm gonna maybe pry just a little bit but um i think for many of us we don't understand or realize these kinds of emotions that people go through when they're adopting um and maybe do you guys mind sharing a little bit more about how that has felt when you do get excited, the kinds of things that you guys are talking about, and unfortunately, some of the things that have maybe been a letdown? Yeah. Um, so you do get really excited when so we've had our adoption coordinator call and say, hey, we've had, we have a couple that they've picked you, you're the ones. Um, they, they do tell us to keep our heart guarded and stuff like that. But I, you know, you sometimes get involved and you get emotional. You talk to the person on the phone every day and you, know, you start to establish this connection, this right. relationship with the birth mother. Right. And they're so. excited as well. And, you know, a lot of these birth mothers are going through a hard time themselves. So you really have to think about, you know, what they're going through. It's not just, you know, you being excited, you have to think about like on their end, they're um, going through a hard time and this is, this is a hard decision that they're making. So um, you have to be cautious about what you're saying and, and um, you know, you, you get involved and then something happens. We had a birth mother that, like I said, lost um, the child and it was very hard for her to tell us because she mm -hmm. knew that we were so excited. So she asked our coordinator to tell us, um, 
you know, and we reached out and hoped that she was well and, and all that. She was very uh, nice. But then we had another birth mother that just decided to keep um, the child and was uh, very gracious and nice, uh, you know, about that whole thing as well. But um, I, I think that each time you get excited, we've told family and we've, um, you know, set everything up with our work and and all of that, then it's just kind of a letdown. So it, it gets almost to where, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not going to tell a whole bunch of people. I'm just going to um, see where it goes. And you get a little more cautious each time, but it yeah. does get, it does get emotional. It's almost like, you know, you start thinking about these future um, plans and start seeing yourself with this child and, you know, um, doing things as a family and then that gets kind of taken away a little bit but then you just have to get up and be positive again and hope for the best yeah it's 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 sometimes difficult especially for one that likes to wear their hearts on their sleeves like me for example um there are things in life that you just have to make sure that you can find those support systems like i, I rely on my husband chris to make sure that i can get through each day um every time that we go through these hard conversations or these difficult conversations with our um, adoption folks uh, or face the reality that this this was not this was not the one but mm. the the one will come soon yeah our 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 baby is out there this is just not our baby at this time yeah. i think so do you find that the that the number one reason why um a, an adoption does fall through with a birth mother is because she has decided to keep the child um so from us, I, we can't really say we had that experience once from our um, adoption agency. However, they uh, did tell us that uh, at, nowadays the whole family kind of pitches in. So, yes, the, the birth mother will say, um, you know, I, I can't keep this baby. I, I can't financially support this baby. I'm looking into adoption. And then a family member will step in and say, we'll help you or we'll raise the baby or something like that. So, which in our case is what, what, what happens. So there have been a couple of instances where that actually has happened to us, where we were almost connected with the birth mother, but then it turns out a family member has decided to step in and, and help take care of the baby, which is great. Right. As long as the baby is loved and cared for, that's all that really matters. Um, but that has been the case quite a few times in our situation. Right. So I was. It, uh, it sounds like you two are your biggest support structures, and you both have great families whom we've met, and we know that they're probably supportive for you as well. Do the agencies provide any um, emotional support for you? They do. I mean, um, uh, the coordinator it has reached out to us several times, and they'll reach out for no reason just to make sure that we're okay and um, and all of that, and then. They're also, uh, with Adoption Choices of Colorado, mm -hmm. they have social workers that um, they'll pair with wherever the birth mother is at, and they will help them emotionally as well, and then connect with us. So they're kind of like a, an emotional liaison between the, um, the birth mother and us. Um, so there's a lot of people there that are, are there to support not only us, but, but the birth mother and make sure that everybody's just, I'm in the right mind space. Mm, nice. And, and when they do find a, a, a prospective birth mother, what does the process look like then? The, uh, the agency calls you and then what, what happens thereafter? 
Yeah, so the agency will call us and and give us the statistics, uh, kind of, you know, what's going on. And then we at that point have, um, you know, we could say yes or no. Um, But if we decide to move forward as well, then they put us in contact with the birth mother. And and it's really whatever the birth mother is comfortable with. It could be emails at first or text messages or phone calls and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then we just kind of get to know each other um, and until um, about three months out, we haven't got to this point yet, but about three months out, then, you know, you make sure that you have, uh, you know, a lawyer and, and um, all of the legal preparations and then make sure the social workers uh, they're in place for you and uh, the birth mother. And then um, you're just basically waiting for the day that you fly out and you get to be there for the birth. Gotcha. That's awesome. And earlier you touched, you made a comment about grants. Um, and I did want to talk about how you got, how you financially prepared for this process. It's, I, um, I don't imagine it's, 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 it's terribly cheap. Well, how did you, how did yeah. you guys prepare financially for it? Um, were grants involved and how, how are you preparing for raising a child to the age of 18? Cause that's not cheap either. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. it's not. We, um, for any couple rather. Yeah. Exactly. Well, we, started, we started preparing uh, very early on. Um, like I said, we, I think I mentioned this earlier, we downsized and, and we lived in a small studio apartment for a while um, just so that we could save and put all this money into savings. We did open a separate savings account just for, um, you know, cause we knew that this was going to be, um, expensive. Um, and we started researching grants and, and things like that. There are grants out there that are, um, specific to gay couples. Um, and there are certain times of year. I think June is usually the time of year that, that, um, you apply and then it pays out in another, um, another month. I'm not quite sure how specifically that all works, but we've, um, just had to do a lot of research about, you know, um, what are our options and um, loans and and things like that. Along with trying to prepare for a child, we were trying to also um, buy a home. So we had to open a a separate savings account for that and um, kind of make sure that we were separating and allocating money. I actually took on a a second part-time job and various other side jobs as well, just so that we we can um, earn more income towards these goals that we had in mind. Right. And then currently we're looking for uh, different savings accounts um, that we could go ahead and open um, for our child too. So um, that way we could start allocating money towards their future and, um, you know, their um, college and, and things like that. So, yeah, because you did bring up a great point earlier that it is expensive to raise a child. Um, whether you're 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 straight, gay, single, couple, whatever, and so it's good to start acting on these now, so that way by the time that the child does reach the uh, age of adulthood, or if you have any uh, other life goals in mind with that child, then you're at least prepared for that financially. Yeah, and we're big planners, so we plan everything else. <laughs> good. I love they, they're doing exactly what we talk about. I don't know if you. I'm sure you didn't because of us, but we always talk about if you have a, goal, a specific goal in mind, such as an, as an emergency savings account or saving for an adoption, to set up a specific account just for that goal, so that it doesn't get, um, you know, 
blended with your other goals or you know get mired into right your well expenses. and we do make sure that we have money going into those savings account on um on auto transfer so that helps a lot then if we have extra money we'll put that extra money into those accounts but we make sure that every month without even thinking about it that there are there's money going into um whatever goal that we have set yeah it's good to put those things in autopilot so to speak so that way chris and i can focus on other important things in our lives as well right so you've got direct deposit uh, uh, let me make sure i have this correctly you have mm -hmm. a direct deposit going into probably i'm assuming a, a primary account and then from that primary account everything gets dispersed into the various goals correct correct yep okay mm -hmm. and everything's on autopilot that's right. awesome yep that probably, I mean, it, it's it's hard to save that money, but having that kind of a structure in place makes it that much easier. And like you said, you don't have to worry about it from paycheck to paycheck. Right. You're right. And you do bring up a good point where in the beginning it was a little challenging, but once you get into the groove, you it, it kind of becomes second nature. You don't even think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, you don't you don't start to miss that money because that money is never a part of your life anyway. Exactly. Right. And it... I'm sure it's a motivator because as you watch that money grow, I mean, this has been the case with John and I, as we've watched various accounts grow, we know we're getting closer to a goal and that gets us excited that we can achieve certain things because that's happening. And with as important as this is to you two, I can't imagine that it that having that financial uh, goal picture coming closer and closer just has to be another motivator that says we can do this we can hang on this is going to happen yeah it, it is and we talked about it earlier but we do kind of graph and chart out everything so <laughs> that makes it a little more exciting you can see like percentage wise you know where you're where you're at um to hit your goal nice are there a, a primary websites that you used or organizations that you reached out to for these grants that you mentioned, or is that kind of all over the board? It's, it's kind of all yeah. over the board. Um, it, it, you, you don't get approved for some, you do get approved for some. We've had to um, apply for so many. Um, and, and some are smaller, some are, you know, 2,000, some are 10,000. So it's just kind of all over the board. And you have to just kind of do your research on that. I would encourage anyone who wants to do this path to do their, um, to do their research because there are resources out there. There are people who want to help you find your baby. Uh, you just have to do your research and you the legwork to fill out these applications and so forth. And it's different for any, every situation too. Yeah. So. I, I think, it, I know it's not. Um, exactly the same, but there is some sort of similar parallels to uh, kids applying for grants and scholarships uh, for school. That there seems to be a lot of uh, push towards going off, going after these very high-paying scholarships and grants. But then there's not a lot of people who go off, go after those low-dollar ones, and they're oftentimes the ones that are forgotten and left on the table. And why there are hundreds of millions of dollars of scholarship money available every year that just doesn't get used because the kids don't do the kids or the parents don't do the research. Right. Um, I, I don't know if it's that kind of money that's available for, for adoption, but I can't imagine that there, you know, that there is uh, is some, some sort of parallel or similarity where there's a lot of people out there that want to help. You just have, to, like you said, you have to do your research and find them. 
Right. There's a lot of resources and I would encourage um, a couple to just apply for it all. Like apply for <laughs> everything. You may not get some, but you know, it, every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. And every, is it, is every application completely unique or is it sort of, is there sort of a theme or, or common trend that you see that you can kind of systematize the application process? Um, well, they, they are kind of unique as they, they're unique towards what adoption agency you use. Like, like I said, we use a uh, mediator and we are um, with a licensed adoption agency. So some of these grants you can only apply for if you're with a licensed adoption agency. Okay. Um, so uh, there are things like that. And, and then other certain factors, some grants are just geared towards gay couples. Exactly. But there are some common themes throughout these applications and, and, and simple questions like, you know, why do you want to adopt? Um, what kind of a support system do you have during the adoption process? What are your preferences for a child? Uh, how, do you in, how do you involve yourselves in the child's upbringing? That sort of thing. Those are common questions that they'll ask. Um, but to Chris's point, they are unique in itself where, they, where some of these applications are specific to the agency or specific to the person applying. So, gotcha. It's a lot of legwork. It is. It is. It what, is. But it's the end goal that you have to keep in mind, which is the child. Right. Absolutely. So, where are you at in the process right now? How? How? Um, we know that you've had some uh, some contact with birth mothers. Are you uh, working with someone right now, or are you in the in a waiting holding pattern right now? Um, we're kind of in a holding pattern right now. We're two years in. And- like I said, we've had some um, some close connections, close yeah, calls, some situations. So um, we're we're just uh, in the waiting game, you know, waiting to to have the the call to start our family. Yeah, right. So if someone is listening right now and they know someone or they have the opportunity to hear this story, what is it that you want to say to them that would motivate them to want to help you? You are very brave, <laughs> for one thing, very courageous to to want to make sure that your child that is with you right now to have a better life that you probably can't provide at this point. And we welcome you to and invite you to get to know us better and to see if we're the right couple to raise your child. And we thank you for that opportunity. Thanks. That's yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's kind of hard to hear that sometimes. Yeah, that, yeah. We'll, um, we'll include links of how people can reach out to you um, on our website, but for those who um, just hear us audibly, is, is how can they? How can somebody reach out to you directly, if at all? Um, well, they can they can go to our um, lifelong adoptions page. So it's it's www.lifelongadoptions.com/profile/jonathan-christopher, and we'll include that link uh, to you guys as well, so that way you can post it on your website. Um, on that link, we also have our video attached to it too, so that way you're welcome to view that as well. Yeah, so they would have to reach out to um, Lifelong Adoptions um, and get connected with our adoption coordinator um, who would then reach out to us. Yeah. And all their contact information is on the website too. Yeah. Cool. I know that a number of uh, individuals in our community are not necessarily thinking about adoption or thinking about families, but... Um, 
one of the things that makes our community strong is that we are so diverse and that we are so supportive of each other. Mm -hmm. So if you are listening and you connect with this story and know of a way to pass Jonathan and Christopher's story on to someone else, we ask that you do that. Um, we want their story to be heard because they're not alone. There are hundreds, if not thousands of other couples who want to start and are ready and prepared to start a family. And we think it's important that they get to, um, they get to achieve their goals in life, just like the rest of us are seeking to achieve our own goals. Oh, um, any last parting thoughts? We, we just thank you for this opportunity, John and David, to speak and to share our story with you. And we hope that we've, we can help others as well that are thinking about this path as well. Yeah, thank you very much for having us on. Absolutely. Definitely. So, yeah, we hope that our audience, um, if, if you're considering adoption or a way to have a child, that this was informative to you. But if also if you... Uh, know of a child or know of an expecting mother that could use some help, um, hopefully we can connect you to Jonathan and Christopher. So thank you for joining us, guys. We appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. We want to thank Jonathan and Christopher for sharing their deeply personal story with us and our Queer Money audience. We hope their story gives you insight into the adoption process for queer people and ways to prepare yourself if you decide to adopt. If you or anyone you know is in need of a loving home for your baby, please contact Jonathan and Christopher at www.lifelongadoptions.com forward slash profile forward slash Jonathan Christopher. Again, that's www.lifelongadoptions.com forward slash profile forward slash Jonathan Christopher. We've also included that link in our show notes, or you may contact us directly at deafreeguys.com on our contact page. Okay. We just serviced you, now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> would help me if I had a personal chef made all my all healthy meals for me. Right. So instead I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts, so... <laughs> yeah. uh, From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.